What's up, coaches? Welcome to Keep Your Pads Down, the home for defensive line play. And this is episode number 140. Well, I trust you guys had a great 4th of July celebrating this awesome country of ours and the freedoms that we enjoy. And hopefully you were able to avoid a uh, Jason Pierre-Paul situation with the fireworks yesterday. Uh, from the looks of it, you guys ate well from the pictures that I saw on social media. So that's always good. Uh, so whether you're taking a day to recover from the festivities yesterday or getting back to work today, thanks for giving us a listen. Uh, I'm spending the week with my family uh, visiting some friends and, and family down here in Bernie, Texas, uh, just, just west of San Antonio, my favorite part of the state uh, here in the uh, the Texas Hill Country. I uh, went to a parade yesterday. Uh, we got in the pool, took in a concert, and of course, you know, watched some fireworks. So a full day for us and a lot planned uh, for this week. Uh, as we kind of do our last hoorah as a family before uh, the football season gets rolling for us down here in Texas anyway on August 1st. So with the football season just on the horizon, this is a great time to check out our coaching network, whom we are pleased to be partnering with for this season of the podcast. Our coaching network is a football coaching platform that connects coaches from all levels and helps them get better every week. Our coaching network has live clinics going off usually a couple nights a week, and we'll have hours of high-quality live coaching clinics this year with each week's clinics added to a library that can be accessed and referred back to at any time in the future. So get on over there, create your account today. Subscriptions are super affordable. You can even sign up for a free week, and you can cancel at any time. So start connecting with and learning from coaches all across the country today with our coaching network. Next up, I already mentioned football season is right around the corner. So you should be thinking about, you know, how you're going to be communicating with your fans, your parents, and your community about things like final scores, your schedule, starting lineups, uh, scholarship offers, all, all those types of things, which means you need to go check out our friends at GoEdit Graphics. GoEdit Graphics allows any coach to create custom graphics from the library of templates in a matter of minutes by changing the colors, text, and the images to make it their own. They offer categories like game day, scoring, player profiles, and communication, just to name a few. Uh, the platform is super easy, it's affordable, and no design skills are needed. GoEdit Graphics is a great way to showcase all your sports and athletes, and subscriptions are for 12 months and include unlimited graphics. The process, like I said, is super easy and it's user-friendly. And just like last season, make sure you keep your pads down when you're ordering and receive $25 off your showcase yearly package. Highlight your athletes with custom-made graphics in less than two minutes with GoEdit Graphics. Okay, so today is a big episode for us because today we are reaching across the aisle, so to speak, uh, and talking with a coach uh, from the offensive side, from the offensive line specifically, uh, who has provided a ton of inspiration uh, for this podcast uh, through the work he's done with his own podcast. And today we're talking with McKinney High School offensive coordinator and co-host of the Run the Power podcast, Coach Rowdy Harper. Uh, so Coach Harper is in his second season at McKinney, and uh, this spring was named the offensive coordinator after serving as the Lions offensive line coach uh, during the 2021 season. Prior to coming to McKinney, Coach Harper spent six seasons coaching at his alma mater at Broken Arrow High School uh, in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, just uh, southeast of Tulsa a little bit, uh, where he helped lead the Tigers to a state championship uh, in 2018 uh, as the co-offensive coordinator uh, for, for Broken Arrow. Uh, Coach Harper played college ball at the University of Houston, 
where he was a four-year starter and selected to the 2011 All-Conference USA freshman team and a freshman All-American. And then in 2014, he was selected to the American Athletic Conference first team. Additionally, Coach Harper was named to the University of Houston All-Decade team. So uh, needless to say, the dude could ball. Uh, in January 2018, Coach Harper and Coach Brady Walls uh, debuted the first Run the Power episode. And to date, they have recorded 290 episodes. Uh, focus, kind of like this podcast, focuses on the defensive line. Uh, they focus primarily on the offensive line, but uh, with episodes covering all facets of coaching football. So whatever side of the ball you're coaching and what position you're coaching, uh, they have something for you. Uh, RTP is an outstanding resource for coaches and a podcast that I highly recommend. Um, in addition to their podcast, they have a great website where you can create an account and have access to virtual summits, uh, premium written content, and the ability to schedule Zoom meetings with Coach Harper uh, and Coach Walls. Uh, today, Coach Harper and I talk about his playing days at Houston, uh, his uh, entry into coaching, and how he's developed and refined his identity as an offensive coordinator over the years. Uh, we then talk some O-line play, specifically getting into Coach's teaching points for the Lions' wide zone and power schemes. We then close out talking about some offensive line fundamentals in a rapid-fire segment where I asked Coach Harper about the coolest stadiums he's ever coached or played in over the years. So a lot of great stuff to get to in this one as we go behind enemy lines and talk some O-line play. So grab a pen and paper, lean in close, and enjoy today's episode with Coach Rowdy Harper on KYPD. Coach Harper, let me begin uh, by saying uh, it's a real honor to be talking with you today. I've been a fan of yours for a while now, and uh, just appreciate all that you've done through Run the Power to uh, to provide just some really outstanding content for coaches. So thank you, first of all, and, and welcome to the podcast. I appreciate it, man. I was, uh, I've seen you doing a bunch of different things with the podcast and have been listening uh, as well, and so I'm excited to finally get to be on it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's you know, not often – it's not often that we're having uh, we have O line coaches uh, on a D line podcast or D line centric <laughs> podcast, so we're both kind of uh, going to the dark side a little bit here, which I think is good. We can all uh, stand to do that more often. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about your podcast a little bit, and then of course get into some O line play. But uh, before we dive into that, um, let's talk about your background a little bit. You're you're an Oklahoma kid, uh, Broken Arrow High School, which is a uh, for those who are unfamiliar with that, it's just a, a football powerhouse um, right outside of Tulsa. So I just imagine growing up there uh, in that in that environment that and, and being uh, as big as you are and just that that football kind of came naturally to you. Right. Is that correct? What was your introduction to football? Yeah. So um, like you said, I grew up in Broken Arrow um, and, and Broken Arrow was always good, but we were always third or fourth best. You know, we never actually won state until 18 uh, and and. Broken Arrow is the biggest, for people that don't know, the biggest school in the state of Oklahoma because they haven't broken up. Um, and so we're the biggest school, never quite won it. But um, my dad's actually a head coach now. He was an assistant coach at Berry Hill High School. Um, and so it's just around the tallest area, 3A school. And so dad was a football coach since I was born, uh, played college ball at Tulsa. And so um, I was just around it since I was a little kid. You know, when my parents were still together, uh, mom took me out to their games. I got to go to every home game, 
all the everything. Football was just kind of was life for me. Uh, all workouts I'd go to in the mornings and and different things. And then um, obviously, you know, I, not obviously, but my parents split when I was in second or third grade and stayed with my mom. And so didn't get to see dad, you know, didn't see dad as much. And, uh, you know, working as a football coach, obviously he's busy. And so, but luckily had a really tough mom and, and a great mom, but uh, one that saw the value in football uh, tough in a good way that wanted to raise a tough son. And so saw the value in football. We watched football. My grandpa um, on my mom's side was around him a bunch as well as my mom. And we would sit down and watch football games on Friday, on Saturday. And so um, I was really was around it my whole life and, and kind of knew it was always something I wanted to do. Uh, I wasn't very big. I was always tall, was never very big in high school. You know, I think I was at my biggest 250 uh, as a senior, but had the height um, and, just was was as I tell everyone the only reason I played in college I was just I was a pretty tough kid they got lucky and didn't get injured very often and and had a mind for for football and so that kind of helped me um helped me go along and go and end up going to play at the University of Houston that talk about that just the decision to go to Houston was that did you have some other offers from Oklahoma schools what made you decide uh ultimately on Houston yeah, so I didn't have very many offers. Like I said, dad went to Tulsa, didn't get hardly even recruited by Tulsa. Um, and so Houston gave me an offer the summer before my senior year. I'd played very limited time, um, had an offer to go play at Air Force, um, had good enough grades that I could have gone truly to Air Force as a freshman, but just wasn't as good of a life that, that puts you, sets you up for it. Just wasn't uh, military, wasn't something that I was, I was uh, looking to go into. And then I think Colorado State or something kind of came in late, but um, Houston was the first one. Uh, our defensive coordinator, his son, uh, Zach Spavital, and his other son, Jake Spavital, were both at Houston at the time, and uh, their dad, Coach Spavital, was uh, was at Broken Arrow, and so I just kind of got filtered to that pretty easily and um, liked those guys. Uh, I grew up in a big OU fan because my grandpa was a huge OU fan, and um, Houston beat OSU, and I was really excited about that at the time. I was a young kid and said, let's, let's go to Houston. And so um, that was really the decision. I liked that it was eight hours away. I try to tell our kids, I think it's really good in a lot of situations to uh, be a kid that's an out of town kid going to, to college. If, if you're able to do that, um, just helps you grow up, helps you be away from your family a little bit. And, you know, I had a lot of kids in Houston that were from Dallas and that first summer there, they're, they were going home every, every weekend. You know, and that just wasn't a reality for me, you know, living eight hours away, my, my family. And so kind of got to go be on my own and and uh, grow up a little bit. And so uh, Coach Sumlin was the head coach there. Love Coach Sumlin. Uh, and so it, it was a really easy one. Got the offer and I was just excited to get to go. Even at a young age, I knew I wanted to be a football coach. That was all I've ever wanted to be. And so I knew now I had an opportunity. I didn't know if we'd ever have enough money for me to go to real call, you know, have to go junior college or, or something like that community college. Um, and so it gave me an opportunity to go be a football coach. Cause I knew you had to graduate to go be a teacher. So I was, I was really excited and they gave me a chance. So, hey, let's go play football. And I uh, loved it. Loved my five years in Houston. How did you uh, get your start in coaching? Did you GA? Did you, uh, when you got out of Houston, did you go back to Oklahoma? How, how'd you get your start into coaching? Yeah. So I've actually, I've, I've told anyone that'll listen, I've, I've had the luckiest, coaching career in, in the history of coaching careers. But um, so my wife, I actually got married my junior year of college. So I got married. Then we also had my son 
uh, my junior year as well. And so I had some opportunities I had done. I played all four years, started all four years, um, had some opportunities to go GA, but you just, you don't make any money. You know, I had a wife and a kid and my wife had, had dropped out of college for us so I could keep going and she could pay for our family. And so it just wasn't right to keep her, in my opinion, keep her doing that. And so um, while I was still working out for, for, for the NFL after my senior year, um, my, the high school coach at Broken Arrow called me up and it was David Alexander and David Alexander, for people that don't know, he, he played at the University of Tulsa and played at the Eagles for 10 years. And so he was kind of a big name in Oklahoma. My dad knew him. And so I, his, he had a son my age and we'd kind of grown up together. He went to Jinx. I went to Broken Arrow, but knew him and was around Coach Alexander. And so I get a phone call while I'm working out for the NFL. And he said, hey, we've got an assistant O-line coaching position open. Um, you know, I, I know you you graduated to be a teacher. You know, you'll have to take some tests to get into Oklahoma, but it'll give you a couple of years to do that. Uh, come in here, be a coach. And I, you know, I told them, look, I know it's a, a far shot. I get to play a lot of Houston, but, um, you know, every game, but I knew it was a far shot to go make the NFL. I hadn't been talking to a bunch of scouts or anything. So, um, I, you know, I tell him that I said, I know it's a far shot, but I, I couldn't live with myself if I didn't give it a shot. And he said, no, you need to. He said, but come down here. You've got family that lives here in, in Broken Arrow. Come down here, um, train at, at our weight room and go ahead and start getting around the kids you know, get around them until the draft and then see what free agency does. And then if a team picks you up, you want to go there, go there. And if not, you've already been around the kids, you know, long enough and, and so on and so forth. And so that's what I did. I moved, we moved uh, to Broken Arrow because our lease was up in, in Houston with my wife. And so we moved to Broken Arrow, moved in with her family for a few months until the draft. Um, free agency came. I didn't get picked up anywhere. And so I'd already been working at Broken Arrow for a little while and said, hey, let's do this. And, you know, a few weeks into it, caught the bug. I, I knew I wasn't going to be a great NFL player, even if I made it, you know. And, and again, I was in a spot where I could try to go make a practice squad. But even then, they might bring you all the way through August and they drop you right before the season. Now you've got no way to make any money after that. And I'm having a blast where I'm coaching. And so I uh, went in to be the assistant offensive line coach. And um, uh, when I did, I was there for a few weeks, and then the the actual offensive line coach ended up getting out and and getting out of teaching and and coaching and went and made a lot of money in in uh, oil or natural gas or whatever. And so I'm sitting there as a first year kid out of out of college, uh, and I just kind of took it over. I didn't know what was going to happen, but I took those guys over and and. Um, like I said, lucked into being the offensive line coach at, at the biggest school in Oklahoma, no years out of college. And, and I got lucky again, our head coach is a 10 year NFL offensive lineman and a, you know, had been an offensive line coach for the jinx when they were state champions for however many years. And our offensive coordinator was a, um, a GA at Tulsa for a few years uh, as an offensive line under um, uh, Denver Johnson, who's a great offensive line coach. And so, I, you know, they had a heavy hand and, and kept an eye on me, made sure I didn't screw anything up, but I got a, I got the best thing you could ever hope for is a head coach. that's an offensive line guy and an OC. It's an offensive line guy that you can ask whatever questions you need to and, and trust that. And so I got lucked into being the offensive line coach, like I said, at the biggest school in the state, uh, my first year out. Yeah. It's crazy how stuff like that works. You know, you, you think you have a plan and then something happens and, 
Um, you know, and at that point, you got to be ready to go. You don't really have time to, you know, let me read some coaching books or shadow someone for a year. You know, all of a sudden now those guys are kind of looking at you like, hey, what are we doing? Just talk about your years at Broken Arrow. You, you mentioned you, you guys won state in, in 2018. You know, what was that like being able to do that at your alma mater and that just that whole uh, journey coaching there um, and, and, you know, being able to mature and grow as a coach uh, back at your alma mater? Right. Yeah. So that first year, 2015, we went to state, um, which was only like the third time in school history, uh, third or fourth time in school history. We went to state in 2015. And obviously, as a first year coach, um, you kind of start thinking, well, this is what you do. You go to state every year and we're going to go win it the next year. And I think, you know, when you're a confident guy that's played a lot of football and you have a lot of pride in yourself, it's, there's too much of it. And obviously, I think like a lot of coaches, I was young, I, I kind of thought, I knew it all that after that first year. And then uh, 2016, we had a down year. And, um, you know, our coordinator, who who is Coach Walls, he was the offense coordinator, who was, is who I do run the Power podcast with. He was the OC in 15, and he left for Iowa because uh, he went and got married. And so we got a new offensive coordinator in who was young. And then we also had, you know, just really, really young team that really struggled in 2016. Um, and then we brought a new offensive coordinator in. Uh, Coach Wilkinson, uh, who's a big name in Oklahoma and now uh, in Arkansas, but we brought him in as our offensive coordinator and learned different things from him. Um, we continued to grow, and then in 2018, we had we just you know I think a lot of high school football is uh, is almost all of it is based off of who your kids are. If you have really good football players, you're going to have a pretty good team. Uh, now there's some coaching in that, and you don't want to screw things up and the coaching matters at some point, but it also matters how good are your, are your players. And we had some, we had some really, really good players that are good offensive line with a great offensive lineman. Uh, we had some really good quarterbacks that did a great job in high school. And, and we had a, uh, a kid that I think was probably under recruited, but he was a heavyweight wrestler playing uh, tailback. And we were big up front. We had, you know, freaky linebackers and division one defense alignment and division one safeties and, uh, we were just, we had a bunch of really good players in 18 and went, went undefeated, won it all, um, and won Broken Arrow's first state championship. Our head coach was, like I said, for the Eagles and Tulsa, but he was also a Broken Arrow graduate. And so he's a BA grad, and I was a BA grad, and we had five or six guys on staff. It was really, really cool to see what that did for the whole town. Um, uh, kind of perennial losers, not losers, but, uh, you know, third, fourth place guys all yeah. the time. And Always the bridesmaid, never the bride. <laughs> that's exactly right. And so yeah. it was cool. And and Coach Alexander was extremely proud to be from Broken Arrow. His family, you know, from there. And my parents were both from Broken Arrow grad. So to be able to do that with him and with that staff and to finally get over that hump, uh, it was really, really cool. Um, learned a lot in all those years. And and so um, eventually, I think in 2017 or eight, 2018, probably, uh, got the bump to being called the run game coordinator. Nothing really changed, but um, the OC continued to trust me more and more in the run game. Uh, we were a a heavy, you know, more of a North Dakota State type of an offense, um, and it ran a lot of power. And so, um, and then through when we needed to, but uh, we was kind of did that to be different from everybody else in Oklahoma when it was kind of going to the spread and everyone was spread and no huddle and all of that. Uh, which is, like I said, I'd give Coach Wilkinson, our OC at the time, a ton of credit. He had been a spread up tempo, 
um, you know, Tony Franklin type system. And then he had also came in and we got under center and ran, you know, 32, 22 personnel stuff. And so it, I think I learned a lot from him as well, just that if you really want to be a good offensive coordinator, you better be able to do uh, what benefits your team the most uh, to go win. And and he took that team, they won state. And then last year in Arkansas, he went back to 10 personnel, throwing it 80 times a game and took Fayetteville to the state championship game and, and got extremely close to winning that thing. And so uh, there's the other lucky part. I've, I've been under two offensive coordinators that, in my opinion, are two, or, two of the best uh, ever do it, and Coach Walls and Coach Wilkinson. And so, again, uh, when, I, when I talk about being lucky in my coaching uh, career, it's that's another big part of it. Yeah, and and I want to talk about sort of that offensive identity that you know, now as you're, you're not in McKinney High School, uh, they're in the Dallas Metroplex. Um, uh, you know, just a really great school over here. Um, and, and we'll talk about that here in a second. But uh, I have to ask you about the podcast, and, and you mentioned Coach Walls. Uh, so you guys started that. What year was that that you first started the podcast, Run the Power? Um, it was probably 2018 would be my okay. guess. Probably 18 or 19. It's been a okay. few years now. Yeah. So what was the, the kind of the thought process or the motivation behind that? Because, um, you know, I can, from my own experience, you know, knew I wanted to do something and heard guys like you doing it and thought, man, that's really cool, but had did not have a single clue about how to even get that whole process started. So for right. you guys, what was that process like? And how did you, you know, get that up and running, get it off the ground, finding guests and find out how you're going to work this thing? Because uh, I guess the whole time I've done it, you've been doing it remotely, right? Like you're, you're right. not in the same room. So just talk about uh, all of that and how that got started. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Really, it came from we were both assistant coaches. You know, he was a great offense coordinator in Oklahoma, didn't know anyone in Iowa, just followed his wife there. It meant a lot to him. And so he's the receivers coach over there in Ankeny and still is. Um, but it really came out of boredom in the offseason. Um, I'm a all about football guy. He's an all about football guy. Um, and so you kind of get bored and we're like, well, let's maybe we can start a, a website. That's kind of where it started. Let's start a website. And maybe we can just talk about football and bounce ideas and blog or, you know, whatever. And so I think we put out one or two blogs, I guess, on a website. Uh, and my aunt was like, oh, that's really good. You know what you should. And I listened to a lot of like Joe Rogan. I, that's all I listened to almost. I was listening to Rogan all the time, um, you know, listening to somebody. And so my aunt who's in Colorado, she was like, Hey, you know, you should, you should do a podcast. And I was like, yeah, you don't understand. It's not that easy. You can't just start a podcast, but then, I Googled it and it is, it was at that time, it was that easy. You just start a podcast and now you have one and it was free and you got on iTunes for free and all that. So I just said, Hey, Wallace, you want to try this? And he's like, yeah, let's do it. And so um, we started and, and had our first episode. I think it was just me and him maybe. And we started talking football or maybe it was, I think actually I was like, Hey, well, I'm going to start this podcast and me and him did it together first. And he was like, Hey, this is awesome. Why don't we both do this? And I was like, Hey, great idea. Let's, let's start that. And so we used zoom. That was before zoom was like a big thing. We were already using it, um, to, to record these through zoom. Uh, we just got lucky. He's, he's got a guy in Colorado named coach Mullaney, who's a, a guy that really helped him out and has helped me out a ton as well. But he used zoom for his, he did workouts with, with kids remotely. He'd already used it. So we started using zoom then, like I said, before it was a big deal. And, um, recording and basically we just asked coaches that we knew and that's how we kind of got it started and uh, at the time there wasn't really many 
football coaching podcasts out then. And there's a lot more now. And there still were a couple, but there just weren't that many. And so started first talking about offensive line. And then we just got into let's just talk football. And so we really just did it because we were bored and wanted a, a way to talk more football. Um, and it's it's grown from there. And we've, again, it's just given us something to do in the offseason. Hey, I got to learn how to do a website. So I learned, taught myself how to create a website. And then how do we do podcasts and Google and YouTube it and figure it out? And we don't have any kind of, I don't have any computer experience or any, um, you know, cutting audio and clipping it. I don't know. I didn't know how to do any of that or, or graphics. We create our own graphics with Adobe now, but um, had never done any of that. It was just bored in the off season. I taught myself how to do it and coach walls. And then that website turned into now we do um, like a monthly subscription and coach walls takes videos and does installs of, of the kind of offense that, that we have and uh, breaks down different, videos and now we do that through the website and he does that and I kind of take care of the podcast stuff and so um that's really kind of how it started with just pure boredom that we were already talking you know we talked almost three or four times a week about football so let's just record it and throw it out there and maybe someone will get something out of it and it's kind of tricked some big name guys into taking an hour and and talking football with us where they may not have if we just want to call them up. Absolutely. Yeah, you're you're exactly right about that. Well, give us the uh, origin for the uh, the name of the podcast, Run the Power. Yeah, so that's actually Coach Walls. And I don't know, um, I don't know where he got it, but there was something that's just what they talked about. I want to think, I think they already had shirts called Run the Power at time uh before we even did the podcast. We were a big power team and at Oklahoma, Broken Arrow when I got there, and not many teams really ran it. I mean, a true tied in in a fullback running power. And I guess it was, he's from North Dakota or or he's from South Dakota. And so he got down to Oklahoma and everyone was talking. It was just funny. They're talking about par, P-A-R. He kept thinking everyone's calling par. What's what's par? And they're, you know, run power. So anyway, that was the funny joke behind it. But then um, I don't know, run the power. And we were like, it really came from, and it's kind of how almost like call new plays in our offense. We just didn't want to waste the time to come up with the perfect name. A lot of times we've already had things we've said run the power before. Let's just call it that and, and go with it. And so that's really wasn't a whole lot of big thought or, or brainchild to it. It was we liked power. We watched North Dakota State. And so, hey, call it run the power. And that way we can get to recording. That's about how, how it went. Yeah. And it, so going back to those early days, like what were some of the biggest things you learned? You talked about, you know, creating graphics, creating website, like j- just for an example, you know, um, when I go back and I've mentioned this fairly recently on this podcast, when I go back and listen to like those early episodes, I mean, it's like, I, I almost can't stand to listen to them because the audio is so bad. I'm terrible. And I feel bad <laughs> for those guests. I'm like, man, I wish I, I need to like go back and get those guys to come back on now that I kind of know what I'm doing. Right. Because at the time I didn't really, you know, and like 10 people were listening and half of them are my family. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. Just a lot of stuff you're trying to figure out. Like you said, I was in the same boat, like didn't have any kind of computer background. Like I'm just learning as I go, literally. So what were some things that you had to figure out or maybe some mistakes you made or mishaps that you had early on? Yeah, I'd say, um, uh, you know, we did everything the hard way at first. Uh, you know, we tried to talk to a coach and then we had to text between me and walls, what time will work and then what time will work for him. And we had to create a Zoom, and then we had to share him the Zoom link, and then um, new, we had to new start a new podcast every week. And um, as far as on the audio, you know, whatever we use, the free one on Apple. And so it was 
everything was so time consuming. I think the biggest one was learning to use templates. You know, we had a template for our graphics. So we just put the new picture in and a template for the podcast that we upload to it and, and where we saved things from Zoom. And now it saves right to my computer and it goes to a certain folder and learning that. And then um, we use, I forget what it, what even it is now, but when we were recording a bunch, we used a software. It's like whatever, five bucks a month or something, but it, it would, okay, here's our available times. Me and Walls decided we'll send this link out to coaches that we want to get on. And then they would pick the day and time that worked for them. And it would automatically generate that zoom link and then send it out to those coaches. And so it was as easy as, Hey, you want to be on? Yeah, we do. Okay. Here's our available dates and times, send it to them. Uh, and that worked out well. I think first few episodes, we tried to like kind of have a, Hey, let's go through it. Let's talk about this and this and this. Um, but we ended up being a lot lazier than you. You know, you kind of send over some stuff. Hey, we might talk about this, have an idea of this. And we just went about it a lot lazier and said, hey, we're going to ask you kind of how your football career got started. And then we'll just ask whatever off the top of our head. And that, like I said, that really didn't come from anything. But just I didn't want to have to do a bunch of research before because we were so busy. Hey, let's let's just take it wherever it goes. And so, I don't know, I'd say those things have have gotten better. I think that what it benefits us the most other than with football, I think we've, I've become a lot better football coach because of it and because of the people we've met and learned from, uh, I think I've become a lot better at just continuing a conversation, being able to talk, you know, when coach Alexander and we all got fired two years after winning state at broken arrow, um, I went and I thought, I think I did a, a great job with my interviews. And a lot of that was to, uh, I would just, and, a lot more well-spoken than I was uh, before talking to whatever 200 and, and so odd guests um, and, and continuing that conversation that helped me out a ton in, in all my just daily communication. Yeah, that's definitely been a big uh, benefit of doing this is, is you're talking to people every week and, and most of them are people you, you know, if you have met them, you know, maybe just in passing, but a lot of them for me anyway, are, are guys that I, now I'm to the point where I've run out of all my friends, right. Uh, I've, I've had on all my, you know, right. all, all my friends on. So now it's guys that I don't necessarily know. And so you have to learn how to keep a conversation going. But, you know, you re- referenced the outline that I send out. And I did that kind of as I got into it because I don't know if you ever saw the uh, Chris Farley skits, the Chris Farley show where he's, you know, interviewing Paul. And it's like, <laughs> oh, yeah. You remember when you were with the Beatles? You remember that? That was awesome. <laughs> that's, yeah, that was awesome. Well, that's what I, I was like, <laughs> that's what I felt like I was doing those first couple. Uh, you remember when y'all won state? That was cool, you know, and, and so <laughs> I had right. to like kind of come up with something because, uh, you know, just to kind of help myself, um, you know, guide me along there. Um, but we're, we're getting ready to move on here. But I want to ask this question uh, and, and not to, um, you know, for you to, to look like you're playing favorites or anything. But do you have looking back on all these interviews you've done? Do you have one that sticks out as being like one that was your favorite or one that you really thought, man, that was really, really cool? Um, I, I've got several, you know, Coach Beatenball came on and talked, the O-line coach at OU. Um, coach Riley, who's the offensive line coach now at Kansas State, uh, at North Dakota State. Uh, those were those were some of our big ones where I was like, oh, wow, that, that's pretty crazy that they would be willing to get on here. Those were big. But honestly, my favorite, and we really only do normally one a year, but my favorite is just when me and Coach Walls get on uh, and start talking. Um, you know, I think like I said we talk probably seven times a week, you know, and maybe not on the phone, but text. We probably almost every day 
something about football. And so we're just so used to talking to each other and comfortable with it. Uh, those are my favorite, but um, Coach Beatonball, Coach Riley, um, and I'm sure I'm leaving some other guys off, but we're just kind of like shocking, like, okay, th this is kind of a cool big deal that we have these guys. Yeah, and and I don't know if this has been your experience, but I found that it's awesome having those those big names, right? Like those those D one guys that you can get. Um, but for me, and we just uh, a couple weeks ago uh, didn't do an episode; was on vacation, so I just released kind of our top ten episodes, and most of those are are high school football coaches. And I think yeah. that that's kind of um, you know that's really cool to see that where it's like. At the end of the day, you try to get these guys and you think that's what's going to drive your podcast and people to come check you out. But for me, in my experience, it's just been that high school defense coordinator, you know, yeah. from the 3A school or where, where just somewhere, not even in particular, um, that that tends to drive more listens and downloads that, you know, as opposed to you know, maybe that division one guy you, that you think might. Uh, get more eyes on your podcast. Yeah, the that was kind of crazy. And, you know, honestly, Coach Walls told me that was going to be the case, and I believed it, but I oh, maybe only half-heartedly. I um, mean, we haven't had that many college guys on, almost for that reason, is all of our top downloads have been guys that are high school guys. Um, I, I, and a lot of it, it was um, Coach Tony Holler with Feed the Cats and, and um, Dub Maddox, I think, have been our, our two big ones, and we've gone back to those a couple times. But um, – those guys that are, they're just high school coaches, but um, guys are really, really intrigued with it. Um, and, and so yeah, that's exactly right. The high school, you know, people listen to this podcast for the most part are high school coaches. And so they want to listen to what other high school coaches are doing. They don't always necessarily care to hear what a college coach is doing. And then I think there's a lot of high school coaches that, that are allowed to be a little more open on these podcasts than some of those college coaches are, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, okay. So we're going to move on now to talking, um, talking some football here. Uh, as I mentioned already, you're now the offensive coordinator at McKinney um, and, and, and Colin plays. And, and we talked about this, you know, before we turn the recorder on about, you know, as, as, as a coordinator, you have to develop your identity and you take all of these things that you've picked up from the places you've been or coaches you've been around. And uh, you have to sort of figure out what is it that you want to be about? Like what, you know, what is your identity and how you're going to shape that? So I would just ask you, like, what is how would you define or describe your identity as an offensive coordinator? And how has that been shaped by the places you've been or the coaches you've been around? Right. I, I'd say probably my biggest what shaped me the most is is learning that. Um, it's really a coach is important, but the most important thing is, is the kids and who you have playing. And can you get your best players on the field and can you get them the ball? Um, and so I think it's really important. And, and I've learned, you know, from, like I said, two of the best, but it's important to me that we're a very multiple offense because you're not going to have the same kids every year. Uh, you're going to have different kids. So isn't an offense that we can go, whatever we need to be in 10 personnel one year, 90% of the time we can, or do we need to be in, 22 personnel, 90% of the time we can, you know, and fluctuate and, and do all those things. And um, I think it's taught me that it's taught me a bunch, you know, I think a big part of our offense is, is development in the off season, which is from our head coach, coach Shavers. Uh, he does an unbelievable job uh, with creating a, a culture around our, our football team. And, and it's about kids, you know, probably got it the most from him about kids is 100% about our kids and, and, 
making them as successful as possible. And part of that is in the off season and developing kids, getting them better. And I think uh, we also, a big part of our offense is, is the ability to be multiple and have different personnel. And so I think there's certain kids that are really good at some things, but they're not good at everything. And so can we get those kids on the field at different times um, and, and have them do things that they're good at and not make them do everything. And so we I attempt to do that with the offense and we've got great coaches that help me do that um, and, and figure out what the strengths are. And uh, I tell anyone that'll listen, we, you know, we don't have 11 starters on our offense. We've got 20, you know, 25. It, it depends on what personnel we're going to go out there in. And it's finding those kids that need to be on the field and, and get those guys um, put them in the best situation for them to succeed. Yeah, for sure. And I definitely agree with that. Um, especially, uh, on the high school level where you're not going out and recruiting guys that, that fit right. your system. So you do have to kind of be like, you may be a, you know, we're four, two, five, but man, there's going to be some years where we're, we're, we're lean on, on defensive linemen or we're lean in a different, different spot. And we have to, and we have a bunch of tweener guys and we do have to go back to an odd front, which we just kind of transitioned out of. Um, but I, I, for, for the, for, as it, from a defensive perspective, you know, how you do that without, you know, by, while still keeping things simple is you have a base, you have, you know, you have your bread and butter, but then you have some wrinkles that you throw in there. Once the kids are comfortable with that, how do you do that on offense? You know, you have a, do you have a set thing? Like this is where we're gonna, you know, this is our home. And maybe that does change every year, but this is our home. And then here are some wrinkles that we're going to add to that or some layers that we're going to add to this to make it appear to be a little more complicated. How do you go about you know, looking multiple and, and being multiple without being too confusing? Yeah, that's a great question. I think our goal is, uh, and my goal as an offensive coordinator is to have very few plays, but have a bunch of different formations and have a bunch of different looks to get into those formations. That's kind of our goal. Now, I, I think every year you have a different bread and butter. I think back to Broken Arrow, we were, uh, there were years that we were power, first off power. And then there were years that we didn't have those linemen or those type of tailbacks we are outside zone and we ran almost exclusively outside zone. And I think the big part is what fits your kids the best. And that's in the run or the pass game. What fits your kids, your quarterback, your tailback, your lineman, what fits them the best. Let's figure that out really quickly. Um, in the spring, we tried to put everything we possibly could in, uh, put as much stuff as we can. Let's figure out what we are good at. And then let's hone in on that for the fall. Uh, I also believe that in the fall, if we do need a week where, okay, we need to add this thing back in as a, as a shot or a special run that's just going to work really well against a certain front. Um, at least we've already talked about it in the spring. That installs a little bit quicker. Um, but I think the spring's about finding out what is your bread and butter? What do your kids do well? Um, what benefits them the most? And then let's get really, really, really good at that. And like you said, uh, let's find ways to make sure we get in a lot of different formations that, that defenses don't know, hey, in this formation, all they do is run this. Okay, we only have three bread and butter plays, but they can all three be ran out of the same formation with the same backfield set um, and then make sure we have a play action shot off of that. Um, but I think that's important. And like I said, putting those kids in a in a great place to succeed and then having tags off of that. So if it's outside zone, hey, the fullback can go play side. He can go backside. He can insert on the inside linebacker, all of that. But it's still called outside zone for us with a tag or. Um, you know, whatever that is, if we're running our, our three verticals stuff, um, we're running three verticals, but we can do that a ton of different ways. However, we're still getting three guys vertical two in the flat. 
Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's great. And and um, kind of like what you were talking about, um, being able to um, again be multiple, but it's 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 really you, you have you kind of hone in on, and, and that's why I think the spring is so important, is because you do you try to throw in a bunch of stuff on your kids and see, all right, what are they picking up? What are they? What, where do we need to scale back? Where can we you know kind of put more on them? And that's why the spring is so important to kind of help you figure out what kind of team you're going to be, because you're exactly right. Defensively, one year you're a team that blitzes a lot. Uh, one one year you're a team that we run a lot of zone and, and we don't send a whole lot of pressure or whatever. But um, whatever it may be, your 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 um, I guess the strengths change every year, but it's all still within the same system. Um, it's not like you're you're running a flavor of the month or you know type right. of offense or defense. So let's pretend that you just hired me. As your assistant O line coach, everybody's got coaching openings right now. Coach, <laughs> it's crazy right now. I wish yeah. that would have happened when I was coming. Yeah, over. I know. So um, let's say it's it's almost July now, and and uh, I've, I'm coming to McKinney to coach uh, O line with you. Uh, walk me through your teaching points for, as you said, those bread and butter run schemes, you know, versus various fronts. Yeah, I think uh, I think the most important part for us is uh, we got to get two steps in the ground before we make contact with anybody. Um, I, and, and that goes with all of our run schemes, no matter what we run, we want to have two steps in the ground before we ever touch a defender. Um, so that would be our biggest thing that we talked about, uh, and, and the mechanics of that. And so if doesn't matter the scheme, if, if I'm going with my left foot first, we should be talking to our kids about really exploding or shoving off of their right foot and, and more specifically their right instep, you know, with their knee through their knee to the right instep. And we're actually, we are moving our left foot, but we're really trying to go our left hip first. And so our left hip's the first thing that moves, and it moves because we're shoving off of our right foot, and we've got to get our feet in the ground quickly. Um, and, and we don't talk necessarily about a certain six-inch or four-inch. We don't talk about that. We talk about shove off of your backside foot, get your second step in the ground before you touch the defender. Um, and I think in, in the run game, and it's all of our run game, I think we see a lot of people – still not understand it in my opinion and they get really long arms you know they punch and they want to go knock people down or whatever they want to do and they're trying hard but their arms get extended uh and they and they do a, a punch and we talk more about a a whip where we keep our elbows in tight uh and so we'd have to teach our kids hey keep your elbows in tight whip up through elbows in front and then we want to squeeze uh we want to be great holders uh because everyone says it right you, you hold on every snap and Every defensive guy complains about it. And so uh, we're going to hold, we want to hold the correct way, which is keeping them in front of our body. The best way to do that is to stay short arms, uh, squeeze in the elbows, and then run our feet through it. Um, I think probably the other big one would be, would be film study. We, we're going to film everything, uh, and we need to emphasize the most important things. And for us, again, that is where their elbows are. That is their first two steps before contact. And then that is their finish. Um, I think that to be a good offensive line coach, you've got to figure out what your most important things are. Those are our three most important things. And that needs to be coached or um, shown on film every day that you do it. I, I think you hear a lot of guys go out there and talk about whatever, 12 different things, or even we're going to be physical and finish. And then they don't talk once to their offensive lineman about being physical or their, their effort on the finish. Um, and, and that's not going to happen here at McKinney. And so uh, we're, we're going to have our three main things, and those things are going to get looked at every day at practice. 
um, regardless if we're inside zone, outside zone, pin, pin pull, uh, you know, whatever that is, those are, are the antithesis. Those are the basis of everything that we do. That was a, a bombshell admission that you just, uh, I don't know if all those guys caught that, but the bombshell admission that offensive line coaches are actually coaching their guys to hold, which I don't, <laughs> I, I'd, uh, I guess, pun intended. I don't hold it against you. I always say, I always tell my guys, and I'm not coaching D-line currently, but when I was, I was like, hey, don't, don't come to me saying they're holding. Like, that's like saying he's breathing. I mean, if I was an offensive line coach, I would be doing the exact same thing. Uh, right. Because they're not going to call it every play. And if you do it the correct way, that's the most effective way to block. So, um, you know, I, I, but I'm glad that you could admit that. A lot of guys, <laughs> I think, would, would struggle to, uh, to even have it be suggested that they actually coach holding. But I think if we're all being real, that's, the, uh, that's, what, you know, that's, that's what gets the job I done. Think, I think the refs even talk about it. If you, if you go and you grab, you grab their chest and you keep them in front of you, um, technically I would say that's holding, but yeah. it's not a, it's not illegal. It's not getting thrown if they're in front of you. Yeah. Um, and so how do we keep them in front of us? How do we keep our body in front of them? Um, if you're asking your lineman to not grab there, I mean, D line's supposed to be a lot, a lot better athletes than we are anyways, we got no shot. So we are, we're going to teach how to legally hold, um, and, and not get called for it. Now we've got to be good with that. Like you said, if they get outside of our framework, we can't continue to hold. We're going to get called, and those are huge penalties. Uh, but, but yeah, we we definitely teach hold people the legal way, uh, use our hands, and I think it's a, a, a huge thing that you got to do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's let's advance kind of in the progression there and talk specifically about let's let's take outside zone. I think that's a a really kind of becoming a popular play or scheme for for a lot of offenses. A lot of us are seeing that. Um, so, how are you guys coaching that and? Um, maybe some things that, you know, maybe you do that are a little bit different from other people. And I don't want you to give, give anything away here too much. So just talk about what you feel comfortable talking about. But again, I'm a, uh, I'm a guy you just hired off the street. So you gotta, you gotta coach me up on how to coach your kids on outside zone. Yeah. So we keep it pretty simple and it's definitely an in vogue thing right now. And it's coming back, you know, first guy I ever talked, heard talk about it was Gibbs with, with the Broncos. And it's still something I watch probably four or five times every year. Um, but we're trying to, and, and all the, all the guys want to call it wide zone and we still call it outside zone. Um, just because we're not, I, I don't know. I think it's semantics at times, but the real wide zone guys would, would, would want to kill me for saying that's outside zone, but we run it like wide zone. Uh, we're trying to put our belly button through our defenders outside armpit. Uh, so we're drawing a line basically from our belly button through their outside armpit. And that's the line that we want to run at. And we're going to run through that line. And we don't care if we reach them or we don't reach them. We just want to have our feet running. The way we teach it is, as long as you don't stop your feet and you hit your landmark, you can't be wrong. Uh, the, the play works no matter what. The tailbacker may, will make you right. And you're going to get movement if you're hitting your landmark and running your feet the whole time, just purely based off of the play. Uh, and so it really almost becomes as simple as that. We teach covered, uncovered. So is there someone head up to you to head up play side? If there is, you're covered, you're hitting his, his play side armpit. If there's not, then you're looking play side to help that guy, that, that offensive lineman, and you're working up to the, that next linebacker threat. And you guys are going to get uh, right next to each other. I'm the uncovered guy. I'm still trying to hit the landmark, but I'm hitting my hip into my covered guy's hip. And we're going to stay on the down lineman until we have to come off to the linebacker. I'd say that's kind of, 
maybe we do that a little bit differently. Um, there's a lot of colleges or a lot of wide zone guys that they don't stay on their double teams as long. They kind of make – they either push the guy over uh, to their buddy or they go straight now to their linebacker. We like double teams, so we're going to stay on double teams as long as we can. Um, and so we're a little bit heavier on double teams. And then on the backside, we work really, really hard at throwing our, our, our head to our offensive player's hip uh, and ripping our arm up through and cutting people off. And, and uh, you know, we enjoy cutting as well. We just have to find, find times that, that we're able to work that in practice uh, because that can be a hard thing to do. And so um, we, stole, we stole our defenses. We stole our defensive guys' uh, uh, donuts. Uh, they're big tackling donuts. We take those uh, and we cut those uh, to give us a moving target. So talk about the footwork with that. Um, is that a, is that a, like you, you talked about, I'm, you know, let's say I'm, we're going to the right. So I'm pushing off with my left foot, my left instep, uh, mm-hmm. open up. So my right hip's the first thing to move. How am I doing so far? You're great. Okay. It's all perfect. Right, all right. And, and so is that step a flat step down the line? And is it like a one, two, three turn up or like, what's the, how am I, you know, we're talking about getting that, that, that landmark, how, how do we, how are we coaching the footwork to, to help me get to that landmark? Yeah, honestly, and I don't know if this is right or wrong. We don't, we try not to overcoach that part. We don't want to lose ground, but you got to take a, a first step that puts you in a position to hit that landmark. So the tighter the guy is, the shorter that first step can be and you hit that landmark and the flatter it can be. Now, if a guy's a really, really wide five and you're a tackle and your landmark, you know, now your line from your belly button through his armpit is almost straight down the line. Now you might actually have to lose a little bit of ground at that first step to put your belly button on a line through it and run it. And we don't ever work up. Um, we will legitimately try to stay whatever that line is. So I'm sitting there and I'm drawing a line, my belly button through his armpit. I'm drawing a line through his armpit from my belly button. That's the line we're going to run. And we're going to keep running that. We don't ever try to turn them up. We don't ever try to reach them. We try to have a big, heavy inside arm, whip it up through and grab and squeeze, and then we just try to keep our feet running and move. Um, and, and so the big one would be probably our second step. That second step can't cross over. Uh, so a, a big thing we do, can't cross your second step over. And so for you to be able to hit that line, you've got to take a step to where you can take your second step, not cross over, and be able to run through that line. And we've got to run off the ball. Uh, I think that's the biggest one. I think yeah. uh, still a lot of from the Tennessee Titans um, and, and people have kind of gone away from that. And, and, and it makes sense on a lot of plays power. We're not going to run off the ball, uh, but wide zone, we're going to try to get our feet running faster than theirs in that short amount of time. And it is more of a sprint off the ball, run that track, run that line and, and, and take off. For me, well, let me let me ask this question first, just from a D line perspective. So, if I'm a, a you know, and I'm a I'm a three tech, and you know, um, you're running wide zone to me, so that guard's really trying to get on the outside shoulder. Um, you know, if I just run my, if I run up and I'm getting really getting vertical now, and I'm and I'm breaking uh, that line of scrimmage there, is that is that guard just going to kind of let me wall me and now create a, a you know a vertical running lane for that running back to cut to, or what's the if I'm if I'm a if I'm a three tech and I'm a go day, I'm just getting off the ball, kind of blowing and going upfield. How are you handling that? Do we just need to wall them out or um, yes, run them out, keep running your angle. So you you've played yeah. upfield hard. I haven't got to hit my landmark. You're staying in your gap and trying to get movement. Again, the only thing I can't do is let you just sit me down. If you sit me, if you get 
vertical movement and then sit my feet down and I can't keep pressing into you, you've got to play. Play, you, you've won. Um, but yeah. if you get up field, you get a little penetration. Again, can't be a ton. You get a little penetration, but I keep running my feet and I keep running you at an angle, even though you're outside of me. I've now moved your spot. I've gotten movement on you uh, if I keep running my feet. Now, it might be sideways movement, and you might be a little bit of penetration sideways movement, but you've moved from where you were. I'm just hoping that anyone on my backside has got somebody cut off. Now we've got you split somewhere. It is kind of kind of the idea, kind of the goal. Now, if you're a really, really good three technique and we and you are just going to shut us down, that's where we've got to be better as coaches and not run it towards you. Yeah. You know, yeah. or we've got to be yeah. able to get in formations where we don't run it that way and we let our our tackle cut you uh, as a backside three technique. Or we uh, mix in enough cuts that you don't know what you're getting and now we come with the run. Or um, we have the ability to go on two. We've got to be able to go on two and feel good with that. And so um, I think there's a lot of answers for that. But, yes, you're a guy that's going to get penetration. You won't – you stay in your gap really well. We'll continue to run you and, and where our tailback hits, which is um, a yard behind the, the tight end's inside foot. Um, we'll make a cut there and get vertical, hopefully up underneath you. Yeah, that's what I was about to ask you, you know, kind of where you would like ideally in a perfect world for that tailback to hit that. Um, you know, for me, I think sometimes what makes it outside zone difficult is because, you know, your guys, especially D-line guys, you don't get reached, don't get reached, don't get reached. And, and, and so they do that, and then they end up overplaying it. Linebackers are scraping and getting out of there. And so now, um, like you talked about, either either we're just running ourselves out of the play, and now – well, let me ask you this. Is, so if, I'm, if, I'm, if I am just turning and just trying to run with you, you know, is there – am, am I going to take my backside hand and just put it on that D-lineman's back and just take him where he wants to go? Um, you know, or, or how do I, how do I do that? If he's just kind of turning and, and trying to beat me and maybe get skinny and get through a gap. Yeah. So, so we'll continue we'll work, 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 run, run, run. Uh, as our guys get better at it, they'll feel it. And normally about the third or fourth step running somebody, you'll feel when there's absolutely no way to continue hitting your landmark. And like you said, we'll take our backside arm will almost completely turn our body and truly commit to just running him straight sideways. The problem is you don't want to teach that too early because it it gets to where it feels good and comfortable and guys do it way too early in the run. And now we've given up way too much penetration and we've never made the end chase first. So the whole big part is he's got to chase first. If we open right now, he feels what it is. He sits it down. We've got to, again, that's where it becomes huge to hit my landmark. If it's a gap defense, I've got to keep my gap. Oh, he's got my armpit. I better really fly out here because all my coach talked about is don't get reached, don't get reached, don't get reached. And now I'm, you know, five yards wider than I wanted to be. Hopefully that backside shade or maybe in the backside linebacker got cut off. That's who we cut back behind. And it's really not a cut back. It's a cut and get vertical. And so I think you watch a lot of those NFL teams and people see them he cut all the way back behind the left guard or the backside guard, or he cut back behind the tackle. I think all that's true, but I think that the cut still happens at the same place. It happens uh, a yard behind the tight end's inside foot, and who he cuts up vertical on really is is who cares. It's just all dependent on how many, how yeah. wide do those defensive linemen want to run. Is your tailback is he is he reading the 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 play side linebacker or is he looking at the offensive lineman's butt like what's he what's he reading to to know where he's going to cut 
Yep, he's reading the play side defensive end. Okay. And and if he sees color outside of our lineman by the play side defensive end, it's a vertical cut. If he sees our color outside of the defensive end, then it's a horizontal cut and he's getting outside. Okay. Let's let's move on uh to 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 let's let's talk some power. Why not? We're talking perfect with with, with uh, run the power. So how do you guys run it? Is it is it traditional, you know, like like with a uh, what I mean, do y'all are y'all playing with a fullback or is it a sniffer like you know that that you that you're you're doing it with? How are you running your power? Um, first of all, let's just talk about that. Yeah, so we got a bunch of different ways we we can do it. We do have a true fullback. Uh, we might be the only one in North Texas yeah, that yeah. has a true fullback. Uh, we're set, you know, we tell tell the kids we're setting the, the game of football back 30 years. Uh, we we got a fullback, uh, but it doesn't have to be with a fullback. We've got we could do it out of 11 personnel. We can do it with a sniffer. Um, those are to me different plays. You've got uh, what we call a weak power, which is when you've only got a tight end or a fullback, and then we've got our strong power, uh, which is the tight end and a fullback. And so we can run both of them, and and we do based off of uh, what what we're going to see from a defense. Um, and then uh, our biggest thing is we've got to get a kick out by our pulling guard, and and we've got to be inside of that pulling guard by our tailback. So talk about your steps for the, for that guard, his steps on a pull. How did, how are, you know, what are you talking about? You know, uh, how, how are you coaching those up? Is he, he's opening his hips? He's flat down the line. Where is aiming points? Uh, that sort of thing. Yeah. So we actually teach a skip pull or I don't even know if it's technically a skip pull that, you know, I've, I hear so many now different nomenclatures or different ways to say things. I don't know if that's the right word to use, but uh, so many different words. It, so- it sounds good. It sounds good. Yeah. I'll go with it. Um, yeah. So many different ways to call different pulls, and, and guys are really, really smart, so smarter than me. But uh, we step with our opposite foot. So if I'm pulling right, my first step is my left foot. So, again, I'm shoving off my right foot. I'm trying to stack my left foot back behind my right. I want to stay square, and I'm turning myself into a fullback is what we tell those guards. Get as much depth as you could possibly can, almost straight back. Turn yourself into a fullback, and then we're inserting to the playside linebacker in the tightest hole we can find. So we want to be, if it's a, if there's a hole right on the, right to the right of the center, that's where we're going to insert. We can't be wrong as long as we kick somebody out because the tailback's going to be underneath us. And so it's, it's finding the, the, the tightest gap that we can find. Um, and a lot of that is based on what the defensive front is. Um, you know, are we, does it a big guard tackle double against an even front uh, or is it a big, tight end tackle double uh, against the three, four front. Um, and, and so our guys start picking that up. But again, and I probably say this with too many things, but we try not to overcoach that. We try to get reps at it. And the kids that are really athletic and do a really good job of it, um, we just try to get them a ton of reps seeing it live. So if I'm the uh, you know defensive end coach and, and we have that sniffer to our side, um, and, you know, again, they're, 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 he's offset from the back. You know, that may be a, a lot of times an indicator for, for power coming towards you. And so we get a down block from the tackle, and we know that that – I know that that sniffer is coming to me to try to kick me out. So what I'll do is just tell him to ignore the sniffer and go to the guard because, um, you know, a lot of times that sniffer is going to end up chasing the tackle – I'm sorry, chasing the defensive end, and you get a two-for-one. Um, so – and, and you know, instead of trying to try to fight that – that that sniffer and and get kicked out and then being able to create a lane for that that guard to turn up in. Um, so how are you coaching 
that that fullback or that sniffer to get inside of that defensive end and create a spot where that guard can turn up. Yeah, so our coaching point is uh, we're, we're talking about near shoulder, near hip. So if I'm the fullback on the right, um, I'm wanting to use my near shoulder, near hip, which is my right shoulder and my right hip. I'm trying to put my right shoulder through the defensive ends inside hip. Um, and so I'm not really using my face. I'm trying to run that shoulder through it and then run my feet through him. Um, our aiming point is the, the butt of the inside guy of where I'm kicking out. And, and what that means is if, if I'm kicking out outside of a tight end, then my aiming point is the tackle's butt. That's where I'm trying to beat the defensive end to. And if he wants to play outside of that, it's really easy for us to turn out and keep him outside of it. But like you said, we know our tackle and tight end are going to be blocking down. And so we've got to race your defensive end to that spot right behind the tackle. Um, and we can let our fullback cheat or we can make it tough on them. Um, and there's, there's, some, uh, there's some positives to both of that. Um, you know, we're going to be under center. So uh, a lot of people forget. And like I said, here in North Texas, I don't know that, that anyone is, but we'll be under center and, and we'll be in the eye at times. And so I think, you know, which end is that and, and different things. Now, that's cool for me as an offensive coordinator because that power now can go left, it can go right. The harder part is now it's a harder race to that spot to kick the end. And so um, we can give up, okay, this is the way we're running power maybe if we set our fullback in a sniffer position. But I think if we set them in a sniffer position in the correct spot, I think it's really, really hard for a defensive end to spill that. If if we're racing to, you know, we're kicking outside, we just have a tackle. And so we're kicking outside the tackle. So now our aiming point for the kickout is right behind the guard. If I set my fullback right there, already right behind the guard, I've got to have, I've got a pretty good feeling that we should have a great chance to get that defensive end kicked out. Now, it won't be very explosive, but I don't think it has to be explosive. I just think we can't lose a bunch of ground as he as he runs into us. And so there's positives and negatives. How do you want to, how do you want to align that guy? Um, I think the hardest part is in practice. I think in practice, it doesn't get you till you get you and you get the D end kicked, kicked. And then you go up against finally a week where the D end has been coached really well. And as soon as that tight end or tackle is down, he's freaking putting his head on their hip and doing everything he can. And then all of a sudden you get got. And so I think it's coaching and getting those fullbacks or whoever sniffers to trust that, Hey, I know you haven't seen this yet in practice going against scouts, but this is going to happen. You have to get to this spot. Then you can always turn out. Can that fullback ever just log the end? You know, get in if he if he is so flat, just just convert into where he can just log him off and then have the guard turn off of that. Or is that not something you want him doing? It's not something that we do. Um, it's not something that we do because in in my opinion, that's what the defense wants us to do. Yeah. Um, they want us to they want to spill everything. Because as soon as our tailback has to go left and right, yeah, they're assuming their linebackers or safeties, everyone is coming to help funneling from the outside. We want to hit it to where our tailback doesn't have to make a cut left or right. He gets to go straight downhill. Um, and then, you know, a lot of defenses will have our safety at whatever C-gap. Well, uh, we're not going to hit C-gap. We're going to be up underneath him. Linebackers are going to see the puller probably overrun most of the time or some of the time and, and try to hit it up underneath all of that. And so it didn't have to be a devastating block, like I said, by the fullback. He just can't give up ground once he gets there, and we've got to get that guy kicked the way that we run it. Okay, so going back to 
I'm your assistant coach and you're walking me through this stuff. Um, so if, if when you're, when you're turning me loose, or we're, we're going out to, to practice now. And I ask this question all the time of D line coaches, but just where are we starting? Like with, with drills and like what we get out there, um, to practice, like where, where what's the, what's the progression with what, what are some things we're starting with? How are we building up to, to get to where, um, you know, we are working all this scheme, but like, let's talk just about the fundamentals, you know, where, where are we starting with stance and, and all of that? What, are, what am I, what does my indie time need to look like? Right. And I think it's a great question, but I think that it's hard to answer without having, having seen, uh, the team and where we're at during that part of the year. And I think that matters as well. Yeah. Um, we're going to teach stance, but I'm not going to teach it every day. I think that's a waste of time. And I think there are a lot of people that a lot of people would disagree with me, but if my kid can get in whatever stance he wants, uh, let's just say he's in whatever stance and it looks terrible, but he can still get all of his steps in the correct spot and he still has great leverage. Well, then I, I, I'm wasting time if I try to form fit him into the stance that works for me. Now, you know, there's some non-negotiables. There's some different things stance-wise, but a lot of times that comes and that's fixed. We talk about it over the summer, you know, or we talk about it in, in spring football. Um, we get in the fall, we might hit it the very first day, and that's about it. And then when we start seeing guys individually, their stance get bad, that's where we work with that kid individually. So, um kind of how I feel with that. I, I don't know. We don't really have, um, we don't really have EDDs. We don't really do everyday drills. Uh, we work and I ask my coaches to do the same uh, with their positions, but we're, we're going to work drills, two things, either one that we saw on film that we did poorly the day before, um, or a drill that's going to prepare us to do whatever we're installing or whatever we're putting in that day. Uh, and so that's kind of how we do our drills. Um, now there are some coaches that have some EDDs and things they do, but um, those are kind of my two prerequisites of what we're going to do. We're going to do drills based off of whatever we need for that day or whatever we did really, really poorly. Um, a drill we do use often, we call it badger drill and there's three defenders and it's basically just a base block. And I like it because I can make it inside zone, outside zone. I can make it whatever I want. It's just a fast play, a fast paced um, base block which again, we talk to the kids about getting two steps in the ground before contact, whipping their arms up, squeezing their elbows and running through it. And so we'll probably use that drill more than any. Um, but what my emphasis is in that drill changes based off of what we're doing poorly and might change from kid to kid. There might be a kid that is a terrible first step. And so the only thing I'm wanting him to focus on is that first step as he drives off. Might have a kid that can't hit his landmark. Might have a kid that terrible squeeze of elbows and each of those kids, as I've watched throughout the other practices, that's going to be their emphasis for what they need. And so um, I guess to try to answer your question the best I can without knowing, you know, what state of union are we in? Um, we don't use a whole lot of shoots. We don't use, we don't use any shoots. We don't reuse many sleds. We want to block bodies um, and we want to find ways to work double teams a lot. How many times can we work double teams um, and then base those double teams off of what we're doing? Are we outside zone that day? Then Let's work outside zone doubles or we gap a lot of gap scheme. Let's work our gap doubles are, you know, are we going against an odd front team? Then let's make sure our tight ends and tackles are working double teams or going against even let's make sure our guards and tackles are the ones working the doubles. And so it really is based off of what are we seeing that week? What are we doing poorly? Um, or what are we installing? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I, and I think that, um, you know, what that caused you to do is, is, 
kind of like what you just you just referenced is you build drills that are immediately relevant to what uh, your that addresses the needs of your guys right then. Um, right. You know whether uh, you, you know you're, you're breaking down a component of a of a of a scheme that you're going to be running and working on pulls or you're working on like you said down blocks or or double teams or whatever. Um, you know, I, but again, that's that's also unique to um, or I, I think we're talking with defensive coaches a lot. Defensive coaches do have a lot of everyday drills. It's a lot of reaction and muscle memory and stuff like that because you are re- you're, it's a re- reactionary sure. uh, deal that we're in. So um, that's that's maybe the the difference there. Like what when you're watching a defensive front, and I think this is one a, a question that a lot of defensive line coaches would lean in closely here to hear what you have to say about <laughs> this. What's when you're looking at defensive front? What's something that they do that that might bother you or concern you when you're game planning that week? Um, I, I think probably just the biggest one, and I think it's it's obviously everyone knows this, but it's something that does bother me. I guess is is when they've got a an unbelievable defensive player, defensive lineman um, that that does some things that lines up places that maybe doesn't make sense. You know, they they're in. I don't always know where they're going to be pre snap. I think that makes it difficult. And then obviously, which I think just makes great defensive linemen is their effort up through the whistle. Um, there's some guys that are great, really good sometimes, but they quit early or whatever. I don't worry about those guys as much as I do the guys that that finish. Uh, and you can tell that their coaches has worked, finished with them. And, and you know, we're in pass pro and we've already blocked them, but it's at four seconds and he's still working a move to try to get around it, flying around, um, still trying to go make a tackle on the backside. I think those things, uh, kind of those two things are things that, um, make me have to work a little bit harder and, and be prepared for. Do pre-step movements or stems, things like that, bother you at all? Uh, I'd say they definitely can. Uh, I wouldn't want to say no because I think, uh, and and depending, again, I know the rule is you guys aren't allowed to say anything, but I know everybody cheats and they all say something. They say, oh, just, that was just, we say hut to say move, you know what I'm saying, or whatever. We say it really, really loud. And so um, that's what always worries me about it. Normally, um, and, and I think that maybe has to, you know, maybe you've got to pare down a little bit of what you do. Cause you've got to be prepared against whatever run for two separate fronts and your kids have to already be thinking, okay, if they shift right now, um, then I better be ready to turn it into this or whatever that, that case may be. And so I think it definitely can be a difficult thing and hadn't just given me a ton of headaches yet up in my coaching career. Um, but I think that it easily could. And if you get a few false starts on it, I mean, that's, that's a five yard loss that you guys are getting. And so um, I, I think that's what worries me more than anything is my kids getting antsy jumping and a free five yards for you guys. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I, you may think I'm lying here, but we are, we do not mimic signals because <laughs> our, our, our offensive court, I'm sorry, our head coach and our offense coordinator is his brother. Uh, we're wing T. And so we're motion every play. And your know, defenses call out motion, but um, we've had several teams, um, you know, mimic signals, and that's a big deal. And that is a pet peeve of our head coach. So we don't even, <laughs> I don't even touch that because that's not a battle that I'm willing to uh, willing to fight, uh, even when we're scrimmaging those guys. And I know that it'll get our our, our center to, to right to flinch or whatever. Uh, I just leave that alone. Now, when um, you know, when it's scout team and we got to get, you know, when it's good on good, I don't do it. But when it's scout team and, and we're trying to get an advantage with our scout team guys, I may 
I may yell out motion there. I'll admit, you know, to try to, <laughs> but Hey, we got, they got to get ready because they're going to see it Friday night. So that, that's what we do. We ask ours and I, I'll scream right behind them too. I'll be the one that says shift and I'll say it as loud as I possibly yeah. can. And I'll make our defensive scout team do it as well. Because again, that's my fear of it. Um, yeah. Is, is our kids aren't ready for that. Uh, they haven't heard it all week. And so, um, and I don't blame the defense for doing it. And it's a smart thing to do. If it's, if it's allowed to do it, you can say it real loud and it shifts people and you get a free five yards. Perfect. I mean, um, you better be really well coached up front or have a, a snap count that, that works, you know, well against that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you already kind of touched on this, but I do, I want to, I'm stealing this question from your podcast um, and I'm, I'm flipping around a little bit, but you know, when you're watching a defensive line on video, what are some things that, that they do, you talked about playing through the whistle and, and, and playing with effort. But what are some things that that D-line will do that will make you think highly of their defensive line coach? Yeah, I think effort's number one. I think that um, I think that effort really can be taught to just about any kid or can be expected of every kid. Um, I've seen some very kids that would people would call lazy, and with the right coach, they, they play extremely hard the next year. I think that's a coachable thing. How big or fast or strong a kid is, a lot of that comes down to, to birth and, and did they hit the genetic lottery or not. But I think their effort really can be coached. Um, I think, you know, you talk about you talk about a defensive end that really wrong arms hard or whatever you want to call it on power. Um, in Oklahoma, we ran a bunch of power. The kids, the, the teams that I thought had a great coach was a defensive end that would wrong arm the entire game. And he was getting, you knew it sucked. That's not a fun thing to do for a defensive end against a fullback that's just battering you in the side of the head or whatever it is when you got, I mean, it's not a fun thing. And most of the teams you do that to, you know, third quarter, they're they're not wrong arming nearly as hard. And they're gonna tell their coach, oh, I didn't see it. But the really, really good ones do it an entire game and trust their coaches. And, and that always was a big to me, a sign of respect or a sign that those kids really, really trusted their coaches and and uh, had been coached hard. Yeah, absolutely. And that is not a fun thing uh, to do and, and not a fun thing to, to try to get your kids to do. But when you have that kid that, that really embraces that and, and, and takes pride in that, that's a lot of fun. Well, uh, speaking of fun, before we get you out of here today, Coach, we're going to have a little fun and ask you kind of some lighthearted questions, throw some stuff at you here, stem the front a little bit, I guess, to, uh, <laughs> to uh, put it in a uh, defensive line term. Talk about your game day superstitions. Do you have any? Uh, if you do, what are they? Uh, I wish I did. I really don't. I really don't have many g- game day superstitions. Um, this year, I do outdoor education, uh, and so on Fridays, I'd always take my class out on a uh, on a nature walk. So I guess that's my <laughs> only game day superstition. I really don't really don't have many. I think I'm I think I'm one of the opposite coaches, and, and it's going to be different this year as a coordinator, but. As an offensive line coach, I think a lot of your job is done by Friday. I think Friday is the day to almost enjoy. Now, you got to be prepared. you got to be able to make some adjustments. But uh, you better be working your butt off, in my opinion, as a coach, Sunday through Thursday. And if you've got to coach really hard on Friday as an offensive line coach, you're probably screwed. Uh, you probably didn't do a very good job. You weren't prepared. Um, Friday is your day to – to watch football. Now I say that a little bit in jest because you still have to coach hard and do some things, but I think you're a lot more important as a co- as an offensive line coach um, Sunday through Thursday. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I'd want to ask you this though: What does a nature walk through McKinney look like? You know, around McKinney High School, I've, yeah, is is there a lot of are there? Is there like one or two trees that you're walking past? What's oh, that? we got a lot. So there's actually a, a little trail that goes back through a neighborhood or around oh, okay. the neighborhood back okay. by us, and then we've got Town Lake, uh, Town Lake right across the street from McKinney High School. Big, huge. Uh, you know, in Oklahoma, I would have called it a pond, but here, I guess it's a lake. And so we go over to Town Lake and walk Town Lake. Okay. All right. All right. I'm sure the kids enjoy that. Well, we talked about, you mentioned you're at McKinney. And for those who don't know, it has uh, probably the best uh, football stadium um, in the state of Texas. And, you know, I know the people, at, you know, across town at Allen might have <laughs> something to say about that, but right. it is really a beautiful stadium. Uh, Melissa is, is, is building one now that we got to actually go see a few weeks ago that they're still in the process of putting that thing up, but it's going to be beautiful. But McKinney has an unbelievable stadium. Uh, just in your time as a player and as as a coach, what were some other memorable stadiums that you've been in, either yeah, as a so, or a player? Yeah, so as a player, I'd say probably the big ones were uh, the Rose Bowl. We got to go play in the Rose Bowl. Uh, we got to play in the Cotton Bowl. That was that was really big. Um, and then going over to play at um, the Eagle Stadium and uh, BYU Stadium. I think all those were uh, those were really really cool, really fun. Especially if you're a football person, um, the Rose Bowl. I, I may or I'm you know I want to admit guilt, but there might have been a Rose Bowl sign that that got taken off and slipped into a bag, and that might be around the house somewhere, but uh, it may not be too. So, uh, but those were those were probably the really really cool ones. Yeah, I, I got to go to the Rose Bowl as a fan. Go watch the game. It was actually the national championship game between. Uh, Florida State and Auburn. And I think one thing that struck me was, you know, you always see on TV the trees, you know, outside mm -hmm. of it. But you don't realize, like, the stadium is in a bowl. Like, it's down in there. So when you walk, like, when we walked into the stadium, we're halfway up the stadium already. You know what right. I'm saying? Like, it's mm -hmm. down in there. And that was that was strange. And then the fact that there's no parking around it. Like, we had to take yeah. a couple of different buses to get there. And and so, like, man, this is cool, but this is this would suck if this was your team and you'd have to go like you had to go do all that just to go to a game each week. Right. And then what it's, it's UCLA, but it's, yeah. it's who we played, but it's not in LA. It's in, yeah, I believe some other city. Yeah. It's outside it of, yeah, it's outside. Cause we, we took a train from LA or, or whatever to, to get there. So, um, but yeah, those are some great stadiums. Uh, you mentioned BYU Sam. I've heard that's really pretty. We had a kid go up there a few years ago. Um, the Eagles was cool because it was a cool new NFL, and we got to play our whole our home games in NRG, which is where the Texans oh, play. Yeah, so yeah. that was cool too. But the cool one about the Eagles is kind of how they've got that whole thing set up. So like the Eagles, uh, the Phillies, and then the Flyers, they're all in like the same almost parking lot, like all three professional stadiums. And then I guess probably the 76ers are probably right there too, but they all like share the same three parking lots. So all of those three big giant teams are all in the same spot. It was just kind of a cool deal uh, to be a part of as well. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, give us your, uh, your favorite football movie. Ooh, favorite football movie. Um, uh, probably, uh, was, I'm drawing a blank of what it was called. Um, but the program, Oh yeah. Program is probably my favorite. Seat at really the table. Like the Seat at the table. That's yeah. right. Starting defense. That yeah. was probably my favorite one. Um, uh, probably easily. I, I found, I didn't find out about it till probably I was in college or late high school. Um, it, but it's probably my favorite. 
Yeah, that's one that I found late. And it's probably, you know, once I watched it, I was like, oh, I, there's probably a reason why this was never lying around my house you know, um, <laughs> right. as, a, as, as a kid. Uh, I, I saw plenty of, you know, Rudy plenty of times. And <laughs> remember the Titans. Um, but yeah, it is a good one because I do think, you know, sometimes football movies get out of hand. Um, I know everyone talks about any given Sunday. I can't stand any given Sunday. Really? Um, I mean, Willie Beeman's reading the paper on the sideline. <laughs> I mean, it's like, come on now. Uh, it's just a little, a little too much for me. Um, now, the, obviously, the speech at the end, you know, it's, yeah. a game, it's a game of inches. Like, there, it has its good parts, but it, to me, it's just right. a little, like there's a lot of eye rolling for me going on <laughs> uh, in there because it's a little far fetched. But I mean, you can say that for a lot of a lot of sure sports movies. any I movie. Thought, yeah. I thought the program was, you know, because it's not a, um, it's not a perfect ending. There's a lot of, you know, stuff that goes badly there. So right. Um, anyway, yeah, I think that's a good one. Okay, I would be remiss if I didn't ask an offensive line coach this question. I ask it almost every week, but give us your 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 you've been in McKinney for a couple of years now. Favorite places to eat there? Whoa, that's a good one. Um, Lupe Tortilla is my favorite, and it's actually yeah. in Allen. Uh, but when I was in Houston, that was it was one in Pearland, and that's where me and my wife, anytime we had any money, we went to Lupe Tortilla. Uh, I love. Um, I love queso and it's probably got the best queso, uh, by far. So that, that's our easy one. If I ever get a, I'm trying to lose weight again, but whenever I get my cheap meals in, uh, and I can afford it, I go to Lupe Tortilla. Um, we live right by, there's a restaurant, a new restaurant called sticks. And I really like it. Um, it's a, it's a cool restaurant bar, but it's on like six acres of land or maybe more. And there's like a, um, wiffle ball baseball field and soccer fields and football fields and a big tree house. And so we go there, me and my wife go there with our kids uh, and they just go outside and they go play, you know, for an hour and a half while we eat. And so those are kind of my top two. I know there's a big barbecue place here. Um, I just, I get to where I won't, I, I barbecue a little on my own, but I just can't hardly, I can't hardly go pay for barbecue right now with how expensive it is and how little food yeah, I get. Yeah, uh, right. I can't hardly make myself do it. And so that's probably the only reason I didn't say that. It's it's crazy when you do have kids, though, how, um, you know, I'm sure that place you talked about sounds like it has really good food. But even if it didn't, if the food was okay, but yes. there's a place for the kids to go out and run around and play, you're like, yeah, well, <laughs> I'll take some mediocre food for, um, you know, some place where they can run around and play and we don't have to worry about them, you know, not going to worry drinks. about anything. That's right. Yeah. And, and, and so your, your, your priorities change uh, <laughs> when, when you throw kids into the mix, but let's talk about Lupe Tortilla. We, we, we found one when I was um, coaching in, in Kerrville, which is about 50 miles West of San Antonio. There's one in, in, in San Antonio. We would, oh, wow. same, same deal. We would go down there whenever we could. And my wife's still a huge fan. We're going to go, we'll be actually be there uh, for the 4th of July. So I'm sure we'll go hit up some, Lupe tortilla at some point, but yeah, uh, filet mignon fajitas. What else do I need to say? <laughs> there um, you go. You know, uh, and, th and those tortillas are huge. And yeah, like oh. you said, the quesos, quesos really good as well. Um, well, coach, um, I, I just uh, want to again thank you so much for coming on and joining us today. And uh, again, big fan, and and thank you for all that you do and, and have done. Uh, you and Coach Walls for uh, just providing great resources for us coaches and. Uh, for being an inspiration to me and just want to wish you and the McKinney Lions the best of luck uh, in the 2022 season. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Um, love listening to all the, all the football podcasts out right now. And 
And, um, you know, you guys, you talking uh, about the trenches, whether even though it is the, the dark side, uh, at least it's at least it's linemen. Uh, and that's the best part. So I appreciate it. I really enjoyed talking with Coach Harper today. Like I said, uh, his podcast with Coach Walls is one I still listen to today and one that uh, inspired this podcast. So I'm thankful for them and enjoyed uh, having him on here today. Uh, make sure you go and give Coach Harper a follow on Twitter. You can find him at Coach Harper underscore coach. So give him a follow and let him know you heard him here on KYPD. Also, follow Run the Power on Twitter at Run the Power and check out their website and podcast yourself. A link to both of those can be found in today's show notes. Uh, you can also follow us at KYPD Podcast. And if you're liking what you're hearing, then do us a solid. Go and leave us a five-star rating and a review. I, I think it's been scientifically proven that every time you do that, a QB somewhere gets sacked. I'm not 100% sure how that works, but that's what I've been told. I mean, it, it it's science. So uh, th- there you go. So take a few minutes and leave us a review. Uh, our quote of the day is a nod to Coach Harper and the guys uh, across the line of scrimmage, and it goes like this. There's no greater feeling than moving a man from point A to point B against his will. And with that, we will let you have it. Thanks again to Coach Harper for joining us today, and thank you for giving us a listen. Enjoy your week and join us back here next week. Until then, go get after it and bring the juice. And of course, always remember, keep your pads down.